Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Salut, bon vita à la retrospective coupé mondial de rugby squidge. Uh, Bienvenue à Will Owen. Hola. Hola. Ça va? Ça va bien, moi Ça va. Oui. Et toi? Oui, 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 oui. Dans le croissant, c'est habite dans le Eiffel Tower. I also want to say, uh, ciao e benvito alla retrospectiva della Copa del Mondo di Rugby di Squidge. Si. I think that this podcast lately hasn't been woke enough, and I thought what we should do is do it in other languages. Yes, entirely. be inclusive. Because I think there's a real problem with the Rugby World Cup in that they are so English and a little bit French-oriented as language-wise. And, you know, like, we've got three Spanish-speaking teams in the next World Cup. We almost had four. Yeah. And yet the Rugby World Cup wasn't Not for an English speaking person cheating. Yeah. We would have well, yes. The Rugby World Cup wasn't doing the official ticket sales in Spanish. You know, they weren't doing the official website in Spanish, etc. They have a Spanish language Twitter account and social media accounts, but that's about the extent of it. None of the official competition stuff was in Spanish. And I think it's a problem. So I want to introduce this podcast in both Romanian and Italian. That's a good And call. also have some French and Spanish in the middle, because you've got to keep up with them, haven't you? Do you think if Italy won the Rugby World Cup, they would write Italy on there or Italia? They should write Italia, shouldn't they? Yeah, I think so. Because it's but only been won by English-speaking nations. Well, South Africa's got about 16 official languages. Yeah. And they've always written it, South Africa, in English. Well, we've got three World Cups, so they're ticking a few of them off. That's a good idea, actually. They should write it in a different... Yeah. It makes it look more competitive if there's a different name on there every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you write Sud Africa. Yeah, Afrique du Sud. Yeah. Yeah. You the just French. write a different version of it each time. Yeah. <laughs> we are so, so... Uh, We're not doing an episode of Africa now. We don't have to do it in Afrikaans yet. It's fine. No. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Not we'll that There's also an episode. Right now, it's time to do an entire episode in Romanian. Are you ready? Yes. Yes. Cool. Please, introduce yourself in Romanian. Will Owen. Si. Do you know how to say squidge rugby in either French, Italian, or Romanian? Or Robbie uh, or squidge or whatever you want to call me. I've learned from tr Google Translate that... The Italian for squidge rugby is rugby to squidge. That's good. That's good. <laughs> so that's a useful piece of information. It is. And, or yeah, rugby or squidge, or whatever you call me, please. Uh, that's my birth name. And I shall not be changing it. I shall write it on the trophy every single time. Yes. In exactly those words. Because I think it's very important, right, that we are here today to celebrate... Italy against Romania yes. in the 2007 This is, I would say, one of the most famous games of rugby that's ever happened. We do this bit every week. Yeah, exactly. If we don't have a guest, we do this bit. 
It's funny because a couple of weeks ago we did Argentina Georgia, the most Tuesday night mm. game ever. This, I would say, is the most Thursday night game ever. This is so. I'm going to skip ahead a bit, right? Yeah. The first half of this is a truly hateful game of rugby. <laughs> terrible. This is this is I would say, as they would say in Romania, un joc de deux replis, which means a game of two halves. Yes. It's a bit like there's a genre of rugby matches, and they happen a lot in the European Cup in particular, I find, mm-hmm. where games are terrible for like 65 minutes, then brilliant for 15 minutes. Mm. And the last 15 minutes is all you remember because, you know, it's the, the recency effect is kind of it's a well-known thing. It's the thing Martin Scorsese said about, like, really the ending of you, you, you need the beginning and ending of your film to be good. And the rest can be whatever you like. Absolutely. Because, like, people only remember the end that, you know, if they like the start, they'll watch the rest. And if they like the ending, that's all they remember. And it's a bit sometimes you get rugby matches that are a bit like that. I remember one between Rassing and Saracens a few years ago that was a terrible, horrible game. And then Finn Russell has a moment of magic to there win we it go. five minutes yeah, to go. And you're like, and everyone's like, oh, what a brilliant game that was. And you're like, no, it really wasn't. They happen all the time in the European Cup. They happen sometimes in the Six Nations. They pop up in World Cups here and there. Yeah. And I think this does have a few moments where it sparks into life in the second half. But the first half is horrible. What I now realise is you watched the first half of this game last night and then the second half Mm. this morning. Is Mm. it coincidence that you had a sleep in between the first and second half? (laughs) No, it's really not. No, I... Oh, I mean, it is just like you do kind of reach a point where you're like, it's 2 a.m., I'm not going to do the rest of this now. Yeah, It's like, I think some people have an image of me from having watched the YouTube stuff that's not entirely always accurate, but it's not a million miles away because it was 2am on a Friday night and I was watching Italy v Romania from the 2007 Rugby World Cup on my own. Like, that is exactly where I was. Yeah, but the thing is, we've spent all week watching a really good Six Nations game over and over and over and Mm. over again. And to then be lowered to this standard, it's a real shock to the system. Yeah, and especially if your brain's kind of tuned into the, you know, wanting to find something to to look into and dig into and having had Connor on hand with this video as well of Wibble Rugby, friend of the pod, as well as friend of the channel as well. Yes. And friend of me, generally. Yes. I would say he's my friend as well. He's a wonderful, wonderful man. He's lovely. Just a just a delight. Yes, and a rugby yet, genius. We had the same thing when he came and watched the eighty seven games, and he was like, "I just don't know what I can take from this that we can apply to nowadays. I don't know what I can learn from this area of rugby." And you've got bits of there's moments here where it feels very very reskinned nineteen eighty seven. Yeah, I think I made the comparison before. People always want people to just like update Joan Alomi rugby with better graphics. And you're like, no, it would feel horrible. Yes. It's like, it's the problem I had with, I don't, I, I assume you would not have played it, the remake of Shadow of the Colossus. I've never heard of it, which, let alone played it. No, it was like a really famous Japanese PS2 game yeah. where like you climb the backs of like these massive monsters and the game is basically like a succession of like 12 boss battles. Okay. And it was like one of the kind of most famous PS2 games because it's just like you have these enormous monsters and you just like kill them and run over the next one and kill them. And it's just like, it was really famous for that, for being like very grand in scale for the PS2. Right. And then they remade it on PS4 for like modern graphics, but that's all they change is the graphics. So everything felt very PS2 and right. I hadn't realized how different that felt in my brain. And it like really freaked me out. The being like, oh, I'm looking at a PS4 game, but I'm playing a PS2 game. Sure. And because they feel quite different. And it's one of these things you don't realize until they're put next to each other, just how different they feel to play. 
And this felt like a reskinned, like this felt like the PS2 version being suddenly given modern graphics. We've just spent the first 10 minutes talking about how terrible a game this is. So I'd like to just thank anyone who's turned this on, listened this far, and looked down at their phone and gone, oh my god, I've got an hour and a half left of this. <laughs> but good luck to you. Hopefully it gets more and more impressive as time goes on. And hopefully we learn some new languages along the way. Yes. So should we, should we start on the team? Should we start early? We might, we might as well just get there. There's no reason why not. Yeah. I mean, so Italy here are coming into this game off a horrendous, horrible game against New Zealand. They had lost 72-14, a scoreline that flattered them. Bloody Mirko Bergamasco had scored a consolation try. That's how bad that it was. That was the worst bit for them. That was just like, it was a really, really bad situation. Whereas this is Romania's first game of the tournament. Yes. And we'll get onto them in a moment. But I think, should we start on... Italy. We didn't mention coached by Pierre Bebezier. Yeah, who we, we did mention that. Previous... We did mention that. Yeah. Now, of course, coaching Portugal. Yeah. And nowadays, like now, 2023. Yeah. Is he? Yeah. My man. I'm a big fan of no, Pierre I'm think No, sorry, I'm, mix, I'm mixing up my friend players from 87. Oh. It's Patrice Lajeske. Patrice Lajeske. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's someone from the 87 World Cup. They're all the same. Yeah, yeah. Look, I've, I've forgotten most of those by now. Uh, I, I found out last night that um, Simon Poydevin's son now plays for San Diego Legion. And I had to oh, kind wow. of briefly refresh myself on who Simon Poydevin was, even though it turns out he's the guy who has the longest Wikipedia page of any rugby player ever when we spoke about that on the podcast. Yes. Completely forgot about that already. Of course, Superboot, though, will never leave my heart. Of course, of course. Me neither. And he'll, he'll and never tell you leave, what, leave your fancy team either. There's another kind of podcast cult hero character playing in this game that I'm glad came back. In fact, there's a couple of them. There's a few okay, of them. Okay, yeah. I think I know who you might be about to mention. There's one in particular, but we'll get onto them as we as we go along. Okay, okay. Because, yeah, this this Italy team, as I mentioned, had had a really good Six Nations. They'd beaten Wales. They were in contention with winning it in the last round of the tournament. Mm, of course. If every single result went their way and points difference was ridiculous, they could have won the Six Nations. Yeah. And then they got utterly humiliated by New Zealand. And I think it kind of, you could say, threw them off a bit. Yeah, yeah. The interesting thing was, when this, when this team sheet came up, my first thought was, so was it their second team against New Zealand, or is this their second team? <laughs> I couldn't tell, especially. Or maybe it was half of each. I know that, so, Stanojevic, who scored against the All Blacks, who was, of course, on debut, and was known to be second choice, pulled out just before this game. So, mm. uh, Andrea Marzi had to jump on the wing for him. I'm not especially sure... At this period of time, what Andrea Marzi's preferred position was because he basically changed position every two seasons throughout his rugby career because he played in that weird period of Italian rugby where if you're an Italian back and you're good, then you're just relied on to do absolutely everything. You will play fly half at some point. Yes. As uh, as we discussed before, like he was asked to play fly half having never played there before mm. at one stage in the Six Nations. So yeah, weird one that, but Marcy jumps in on the wing in a perplexing backline. Yes. I mean, it's a hell of a thing. So yeah, Marcy moves to the wing. Mirko Bergamasco moves into 12. With Gonzalo Canale coming in at 13. Canale, really good player. I yeah, think the player doesn't get talked about much now. But yeah. he was a very good, very solid player. He was kind of yeah. in that Italian team, that, that kind of good, solid Italian team when you had Castro and you had Parise at their pomp and you had the kind of Eduardo Gori... And you had all of these kind of, you know, Marcy Luke and so McClane, on, those kind of legends, yeah. Luke McLean. Would you say that he was maybe the glue in that team? He was. He was one of those really reliable, solid players that didn't really make mistakes. It was a 10-year international career. Ran good lines, made good tackles, yeah. took tries that were offered to him most of the time. 
was a really, really solid player for Claremont for a very long time. Was yeah. like a player they would bring in. He didn't necessarily start a lot of the time when they had Fafana and Rougeri and Jonathan Davis at points during their bunch of players, but he was like really reliable for them. And then was one of the big signings when Patrice Cabrezzo and Xavier Garbajosa took over at La Rochelle. He was one of their big signings because they wanted just really reliable players mm. who were programmable and really coachable. And he was one of those that they took in. So he was a he was a really great player. Yeah. Uh, kind of dual Argentine-Italian citizen. I would look at this back line and see, say he's the standout player, other than perhaps Andrea Marci. Andrea Marci, yeah, who is Andrea Marci, on the wing, which is not his position. And that's it. He I was think a centre or fullback, really. Andrea Marci, if he came along these days, would be given a much better rap than what he's given now. Mm. Because, as I say, he played in such a weird period for Italian backs rugby in particular. I also think if Andrea Marci came along now, he would be forced to specialise either centre or fullback. Yeah. He yeah. certainly wouldn't end up playing everywhere between 10 and 15 in the yeah. back line. Yeah, he was screwed around a lot because he was so good mm. and it made him worse. That's a yeah. really weird paradox of words. But yeah, I think Andrea Marti perhaps underrepresented. But is now there's a few players in this Italian team actually who've gone on to become really good coaches, which mm. I think is a really interesting Including thing. Including Marti. And that's it, Andrea Marti being being one of them. You know, you've got, I think, Carlo Festucci has gone on to become quite a good scrum coach. You've got Marco mm. Bortolami is now the DOR at Benetton. Like there's a handful of them that have gone on to have you know relatively successful coaching careers. Obviously, Castro's well as... gone on to be a dancing coach. Has he actually? No, he was on dancing the Italian oh, dancing yeah. with the stars. Uh, no, I didn't think. He... And dancing also, coach. But I thought skipped. Yeah, some of these players have gone on to be really good coaches. Gherardini as well. Gherardini's coaching at Benetton. Of course. There's yeah, bunch of really good coaches. There's also Martin Castro-Giovanni who started skipping games towards the end of his playing career to go and party with footballers and models in Brazil. So I think he wins. Yes. Well, he didn't get on particularly well with some of his coaches, did he? No. You've got, they dropped Tronk onto the bench and they bring in a guy called Paul Griffin at Scrum Half. So Tronk on obviously just on the coaching link, gone on to coach the under-20s for a very long time, is involved with the national setup now. Paul Griffin, bizarre little guy. Yeah. From Dunedin in yeah. New Zealand. I saw his um, name, I was like, oh my god, remember him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you want to know the highlight of his international career? This? <laughs> in 2004, Paul Griffin was named Italy's second best player of the tournament in a poll. <laughs> after Andrea Le Cicero. <laughs> second best? That's pretty incredible. Whilst Troncon was injured, he was the second best player. And that is, that is seen as his career highlight. That's incredible. Was it you who's saying that they once did a rankings of like a top five most improved player team you used to play in? Was that you? Was that a guest we had? Yeah, on? yeah, 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 yeah. It very much has the same energy of that. And it's just like, no, just stop it. Just cut it. Cut it at one. I was third, which said like, you've improved slightly. We can see you're less shit than you were, but you're still not good enough for us to say you're good now. Yeah, that that means that you're like two thirds from the bottom of, bottom of the pile you know no I was sa- I'd moved from bottom to second bottom oh okay that's what it meant that's pretty good I'm proud of you well done but yeah weird really weird thing that Paul Griffin's Wikipedia page lists his international experience appearances right apparently he has played for three national teams oh what who are one of which being Canterbury <laughs> who he played for once <laughs> was that like in one of those faux test matches where they played against like France or oh maybe Maybe, I wonder. It, nothing is mentioned there. But yeah, he also played in a charity match for the West Coast. Oh, wow. For an anniversary thing. It's not an interesting story. He then, yeah, signed 
moved to Naples to go and play for Palnetov and played there for a while and then went to Calvisiano, qualified on residency, no Italian heritage, and good on him. What a career he ended up having. Yeah, Paul Griffin. What what a what a just name you know, name to bring up. It's just the most two thousand and seven player to possibly exist. I have such a vague memory of him as a player mm. because again, like he was on the crest of us starting to watch rugby and very much in the school of Craig Gower of just extremely mediocre players who ended up playing a handful of caps for Italy. Yeah. But of course, partnering Paul Griffin in the halfbacks is one Ramiro Pez. Yes. Is he one of the players that you said is a bit of a cult hero in the podcast? I mean, I don't know. He There's a big Argentine influence running through the spine of this team. Yes. Canale at 13, you've got Parise at 8, you've got Castro at tight head. I think Lechichiro you... might have Argentine heritage. Oh, quite possibly. I don't. I think he's Sicilian, but right. Okay, it's possible. Yeah, but you know, you've got a bunch of them. Matty Seguero on the bench, which also is mental. I didn't realize he went back that long away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you've got a real spine of it, and then you've also got Ramiro Pez, (laughs) which is like if you've got this kind of spine running of Argentine players, you've then just got like a leg of like uncooked beef in the middle that just kind of wobbles and falls through and tastes horrible. So Ramiro Pez is, if ever you watch a highlights compilation of somebody battering Italy in the Six Nations in the mid-2000s, then uh, Ramiro Pez is the one who's making the mistakes. <laughs> Unless it's Mauro Bergamasco playing at Scrum Half, Ramiro Pez is the one getting charged down. And he is like, he's a constant in the, those ones that come back up on telly and stuff. Ramiro Pez is the reason Andrea Marzi had to play 10 in the following year's Six Nations. Is he? Because he was the alternative. <laughs> it's, it's a weird one. I think he falls into the same category that we described for Federico Todescini, of mm. a 10 who wouldn't happen now, seems quite one-dimensional. Like, in a way, you could look back from a third-person perspective and go, oh, I can see what he brings to this team. Mm. Like, there is a skill that he brings. Like, he has a particularly good kick. He has a particularly good pass that he might do. But it's still just a funny conceptual player. And like the other, the other year we watched the Bermuda classic and he was mm. Italy starting 10 and he absolutely tore it up Yeah, at age like 45. And like his kicking boots looked like on point. And that's the thing about Ramiro Pez is he was a bizarre player who he's one of these players at this point in his career, right? Where it, by this point he's been around and playing professional rugby for about nine years. And you kind of get why you'd want him as an experienced player or whatever to be around and play. Right, I still can't. I can see why you'd look at Ramiro Pez as a a youngster and go like, okay, he's sort of talented, and I can see why we want to do something with him. And I can see how you can look at Ramiro Pez and go, okay, he's been around a long time. We don't have anyone else who's been around a long time, so maybe he'll have some experience he can use. I don't know how he gets from one to the other. (laughs) Is this what we're witnessing? Well, this is it. But this is like Ramiro Pez, right? Have you ever looked at his journeyman rating? No outstanding okay okay i'm gonna read you the list of clubs he plays for between two the year 2000 and 2009 okay okay so this is a nine-year period okay and i want you to count off every club he plays for mm-hmm. okay got my fingers at the ready okay latibalda in italy rugby roma rotherham titans <laughs> leicester tigers back to rotherham titans bath rugby castle in peak perpignan 
Bayon. What? Venizzi Mestra. We're above nine. Toulon. La Pialda. He goes back to his home club. So that's 12? 12 clubs in nine years. That's mad. Plus he plays for the national team. So he moved literally every season, sometimes twice a season. Yep. That's insane. <laughs> so he played one game for Bath and one game for Cast in the same year. He's a session fly half. He's a session fly half. Definition of a session fly half. He also, and I love this, this is the end of his Wikipedia page, right? After a poor 2008-9 season at Toulon, he was released to make way for Johnny Wilkinson and Felipe Contaponi. I felt like I was being hard on Pez a minute ago when I described him as one-dimensional. But I think to say that that's a glow-up, I, I don't think he'd be offended by that. No, no, I really don't. Can I also read Matt something, Gitter right? as well, yeah. This article is from 2004, three years before this World Cup, right? Former Italian fly half Romero <laughs> Pez has parted ways with Leicester Tigers after spending the 2003-04 season at Wolford Road. Pez played 13 matches for Tiger last season, racking up 100 points in the process, fair play, but found his path to the number 10 ship blocked by Springbok star Jakob van der Westhuizen. The members play of the season. Unfortunately, things did not work out well for Ramiro his time at Leicester Tigers, but that happens all the time, said Leicester Tigers CEO Peter Wheeler. We do, however, wish him well for the future. I love them saying things didn't work out well for him. That's by the Leicester CEO. That happens all the time. They mean specifically to him? Yes! Well, yeah, literally the evidence shows it does happen all the time. Every season he goes to a new club that go, yeah, you're not quite good enough. And then they go like, oh, God, all right, I thought those Italy caps were going to mean something, but I'm realising now. I do like the fact that Rotherham then had him back. They they gave him the, you know, the comforting hug to say, oh, no, don't worry, you can come back to us. And then one season later, it was like, oh, no, I forgot, he's shit into. We should get rid of him again. <laughs> it's just like, it's the thing that afflicts him constantly. And I'll tell you what, he doesn't get much, like, this game did not change my opinion that he is a shit player with free skills. <laughs> Oh, it was a very strange one. I want to ask, on Ramiro Pez, mm. sort of, which commentary did you watch of this game? I think it was Romanian. Okay. Or Georgian or something. So I watched the Irish coverage of this game. Oh, really? Yes. And the commentators were Mark Robson, who we've heard oh, yeah? before, and remember Tyrone Howe? Yes, I do. I remember him being a reasonably big pundit for a while. He was, yeah. Former Ulster winger. Mm. And... He was a perfectly fine pundit, from yeah. what I can recall, and and like I don't really have anything bad to say about him um, in this game. Not that that's my job, but yeah. So Jerome Howe, very early on on this, brings up the fact that he has Romero Pez in his fantasy team. <laughs> no, what so, a terrible decision. The the reason why it was brought up in the first place is because the first kick is taken by David Bordalusi, the fullback for Italy, and he goes, "Oh shit, I thought Pez <laughs> would be taking the kicking." <laughs> And so what ha- what goes on to happen later in the game is Bortolusi misses like three or four penalties. Like he-, he starts missing like a ridiculous amount of penalties in like half an hour. And every time he misses one, Mark Robson on the comms says, oh, we're edging closer to Romero Pez taking the kicks. And eventually Pez does take over the kicks and he starts nailing them all. <laughs> so Tyrone Hall's buzzing about his fantasy team. He played the long game there. He really nailed that. I am so here for commentators talking publicly about who's in their fantasy team, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I don't want it to be a constant thing, but I'd love no. that to come up more often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just once in a while. Especially in a World Robson Cup. did mention it on the, the World Feed coverage you know what? the other week. It's something I want in World Cup midweek games. Yes. That's that, yes. Cha- champion 
players from teams that are playing midweek. Don't just champion Dan Carter, who's starting 10 for the All Blacks. Don't the- just champion Johnny Wilkinson, who hasn't yet started a game for England. You know, champion Romero Pez. The moment in my life where I felt I knew the most about rugby, which there have been about four of those moments, they're very few and far between, was being in the fan zone in Tokyo and after Mashashima scored his hat trick saying he's the captain of my fantasy team. <laughs> in the opening game of 2019. The opening game. Yeah. And everyone being like, what? I'd never heard of him. Yeah. And I was like, mate, where have you been? Yeah. Where have you been? We are six years into his international career now and he has been class in four positions now. It's- so Can we talk about David Bodlisi for a bit? Yeah, go for it. Because I enjoyed him. Yeah. He's not very good, but I enjoyed him. I do get the impression that he is like a deep descendant of Serafino Gizzoni. <laughs> that he's so, like his great-great-grandson. He's like a Gen Z redesign. Yes. Like they gave him a flashy there's, new haircut. There's one point where Bortolusi does that thing of like, turning his body so if he drops the ball it goes backwards yeah yeah but he's doing it right next to the touchline so he just drops the ball into touch and so no pressure and that was just pure gitsoni i loved it <laughs> so david bortolusi right as you say starts the goal kicking he is the most aesthetically pleasing goal kicker i've ever seen like the way he strikes a ball is so beautiful and graceful and he just kind of like dinks it carefully towards the post but we still have like a really real grace to him until the and camera focuses shit. on the ball. Like, he's, yes. he's shit at goal kicking, but it looks really nice. He's like, like, he um, misses one basically between the posts, and you're like, yeah, but it was a lovely action. It's like Alan Partridge going, oh, nice action. He's like the guy that Canterbury hire to kick goals on their adverts. Yeah. Uh, when they're trying yeah. to sell the, the Canterbury balls and kicking tees. He's the guy, the model that they hire to kick a goal. And then, it's all right, the camera doesn't have to pan away. They can get Romero Pez in to then, uh, then shoot <laughs> yeah. from behind, like, oh, here's the kick going through the posts. Like the Adam Jones Garafanskin video. Yes, exactly. It's well worth looking up if you haven't seen it. Yes. He's just, he's a weird little guy. Does that take us through the Italy team? Yeah, the one big change kind of from the default, yeah. I have this, because it's like that vintage Italian team with Andrea Lasistro, Martin Castro mm. Giovanni. I just expect to be Ghirardini the whole game and had to keep correcting myself that it's Carlo Fettuzza instead. My brain was just going, no, but it should be Ghirardini. Should be. It should be Ghirardini. The other other significant change I'd say in the pack is at number six, I Josh Mm. Soul, but I'm not a soldier. Just that's the reason why I still remember who Josh Soul is, because one of my friends once made that joke, and I thought that's the most incredible niche rugby joke I've ever heard. Yeah, impressive stuff. Yep. Josh Sol went on to play amateur rugby in Dubai or semi-pro rugby in Dubai oh, nice. for like years. I think he only retired like two years like two years ago or something. Good for I Josh Sol. Very long time. Yeah, good on him. So Romania, as you mentioned, we hadn't talked about Romania. This is the first game of the World Cup. We finally got here. It's Romania time, boys and girls. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, what a weird period for Romania they're in at this time. It's so. This is immediately after, and it's something that will come up in a video just after the Six Nations, and something we've talked about in past when discussing Romania. They had, about 18 months before this, in 2005-2006, one of the greatest under-20s teams a Tier 2 side has ever had. Correct. They very almost beat Wales, France, Italy. They did beat Scotland and Argentina. They had endless players. A lot of them came straight into the team. So... When Romania came to pick their squad for this World Cup, they dropped in a lot of real youngsters, and yet they weren't really playing. 
There's a so if you look at their wider squad, there's a bunch of players, including Florin Vleku, who comes in as a fullback, who goes on to become their all-time top point scorer. Yeah, the, and probably best player alongside one right player up there. who's playing in, the, in this game. One of their greatest players of all time, maybe their greatest back of all time. Yes, definitely their greatest back of all time. Because they had a few players in the sort of seventies and eighties, which who were outstanding. Some of which we covered in the eighty-seven series. A lot of them were kind of on their last Stephen leg Constantine. by the time they got there. Yeah. Mate, I love the Constantines. But Florent Vlake, who as a youngster here, at this point he's just turned twenty-one. Right before this tournament, it's just his twenty-first birthday. It was a few weeks beforehand. He had eleven caps. They brought him right into the team. You had yeah a bunch of other like Catalan Furku starts on the wing in this game. Again, he was in that under twenties team. He had sixteen caps at this point. They'd had this real incredible run of youngsters that they then brought in and lent on really hard. Valentin or Sachet, second row goes on to play for a very long time, was part of that team as well. Had a huge career with like Oyanat, I think, in the top fourteen as well. Yeah, He's yeah, yeah. Really good player. Played in twenty fifteen as well, didn't he? Yeah. You've got Valentin now I've always I've always slipped up on his name. Califatanu. Yeah, yeah, that's close enough. Califatanu, yeah. yeah. Scrumarf, who goes on to play again to the 2015 World Cup and beyond. He's on the bench for this game. You've Love got Lee misses out on the squad narrowly, but is capped by this point. Flanker, who's still their captain nowadays. They were so... Rel- or was that, was captaining them last year. I think he's just lost the captaincy because he's been in and out of the team. He's still in but, the team, though, is the point. Like he's Yes. So, it... <sighs> In a normal, to, given what you were saying about Romania's kind of lack of ability to kind of generate depth these days, in a normal team, Makovai would have been drowned out by now. Yeah. Kind of dissolved out by other good flankers coming through. Whereas, like, Makovai, at the peak of his powers, was, like, world class. But. Yeah, unbelievable. Now, unbelievable. his legs are a lot older than they were at that point. Yeah. And so, yeah, this young Romanian squad. A lot of them are on the bench or they filter in for other games as this World Cup goes on. Mm. But what we've got here is very much the the core of an older generation starting these games. Yes. Because it's a really interesting transition point for Romania where they're, they're very much beyond the period in the 80s and early 90s where they get screwed over massively by world rugby on an enormous scale. And they then spend a really long time struggling to rebuild from that, I think. Yeah. They, they talk in, on the comms in this game about Romania being old. And I thought, oh my God, mm. half this team goes to 2011. Yeah. Like, and it's such a similar squad. Yeah. But that's the thing. Like, I focus on the young players, but the players that aren't young are old. Yes. Like, like it's, it's one extreme or the other, you know? You look at the, the players in their squad, right? And the youngest player in their squad at that point was Catalan Furku. Okay. Who turned 21 during the tournament. Wow. Goes on to become their all time top try scorer, of course. Yep. Whereas their oldest player, Razvan Mavrodin, which is a great name to say. That is a great name. A hooker. He, on the other end of the spectrum, very opposite end of the spectrum, is facing his 40th birthday at this point. Wow. So he's he's not there yet, bless him. But, you know, he's on the bench. He's kind of in his late 30s. I do like that, as actually, because in this game, he comes on three times. Yes. Because uh, Marius Tinker repeatedly have to go, has to go off for blood and stuff. So that's that's exactly what he wants. Plays a lot of the game, but gets a nice little 20-minute mm. rest in between. And so, yeah, you get this kind of real one extreme or the other end of this Romanian team. And they were in a weird place coming into this World Cup, as I say, because they have been... They were for quite a while basically coasting the Rugby Europe Championship, you know, the top divisions of it. They'd narrowly missed out to Portugal in 2003, but other than that, they'd won it every year up until this year. They'd won it every year, the professional era, up until this year, where suddenly Georgia come in. 
Ah. And Georgia go, actually, we'll have that. Yoink. And Georgia then basically keep hold of it. Like, Georgia have, I believe, won it every year since. And 2007 was the first year of Georgia rising above them. So the opening game for Romania in 2007, their first game in February, they lose 17-20 to Georgia. That's a huge moment. Narrow win late on. Georgia score late on to win it in Bucharest as well. Like, Romania's home game. And that moment, you can look back on it as one of the most significant moments in European rugby history. Big time. Like, certainly in modern European rugby history. Because that swung the balance of power in a way that it hasn't changed since. Like, Romania have won odd games since, but Georgia have dominated that competition ever since that game. The fact that people talk about bring Georgia into the Six Nations, not bring Romania mm. into the Six Nations, yeah, is really telling because you think of like you know we've looked at the eighty-seven t- uh, jo- uh, Romanian team, and that would be the team you look at, partially because Georgia wasn't a country back then, but also partially because they had the makings of what could become a good team that could mm. compete with these bigger nations. So that is a this is a huge turning point for European rugby, yeah, and tier two rugby generally. Yeah, it was enormous. Romania recovered and they won their other games that championship. Although, because the format was weird, they played some games after this World Cup. And I'm not entirely sure why they moved some of them to November when they played most of them through kind of February through March, April. And then they played three random games at the end in November. So Romania, after this World Cup, right? Spoilers, we're jumping ahead. Romania then played Russia but they were like, we're knackered, lads. We've just come back from the World Cup a few weeks ago. And they rested half their good players, or a lot of them went back to play in France, the majority of them. So they basically put out like a seat. Or at least, yeah, their good players will have gone to play in France. Yeah. So their best players arrived from France, and a lot of them were knackered and like taking the day off or whatever. And they were only half focused because they just played, you know, the All Blacks. And then, so Russia beat them 22-12. And you know what? You can let them off for that one. Yes, yeah, because Romania are very much reliant on the spine of their team, I think, and if they're Mm. not present, then I can only imagine after a pretty brutal World Cup, it can't be easy. But the other interesting thing about that, right, is that that was very much the start of what led to Russia kicking on for 2011 and qualifying. Which is brilliant. That team really building, yeah. Do you want to know something interesting about that game, though? Go on. Do you want a bonus a bonus factoid? Oh, I would love a bonus it. factoid. So, right? <laughs> Russia arrived to play that game in Bucharest right after the World Cup. Except when they turned up, they got into the hotel, they all went up to their rooms, they left some of the kit in the lobby, and they were going to come back and pick it up shortly. Okay. Right? Standard stuff. They left like a big pile of kit, whatever, in the lobby. They then got up to their rooms and there was a massive power outage in the hotel. Like all the lights went off, everything went out, everything went down, like complete power cut in the hotel. They came back downstairs and all the squad's boots had been stolen. <gasps> Not the kit bags. Look, the, so there was a kit bag. The kit bag that contained the boots had been stolen. Oh, so all the boots were kept together. Yeah. I thought somebody had individually boots. gone round to everybody's kit bag <laughs> and taken the boots out and ran off with them. No, they just had a they had a bag of team boots. Wow. They kept that they carried everyone's boots over together. But do you want to know the incredible thing? What? Romania then had to do the captain's run the next day in their socks. No. Russia did the captain's run in their socks. I know I just said Romania the wrong way around. <laughs> Russia did the captain's run. They had to train in their socks. 
because they didn't have any boots. That's mad. Thankfully, conditions were dry and everything, but it was still Romania in November. Yeah, I think Romania should have honoured this and also trained barefoot just for rugby value's sake. So Romania then, <laughs> Romania in true rugby values, the FRR, the Romanian Rugby Federation, lent the Russian team boots. For the game, that's nice. I mean, so they I, had to supply the opposition with boots. In a sense, I think that is only fair because boots are the one piece of kit that is an absolute necessity to bring with you to a rugby game. Anything yeah. else can probably get supplied, but like if you've got the wrong short, no shorts, you can wear the wrong shorts, you know. Whereas, like, you've got to have the correct size boots. If you're wearing odd However, socks, that's fine. Right, Romanian rugby statement is very interesting. Okay. Are you going to read it in Romanian or English? In English. I've got the English version in front of me. Okay. I'm just going to read a Otherwise, you it. would read the Romanian one. Right. The FRR regrets the incident and will offer boots to the visiting players if they ask for them. So there's two parts to unpack here, right? One, they regret the incident. Don't, that's probably which implies a poor guilt. translation, but yes, that does imply... That they've just like sent round Julian Dimitras to, you know, and in fact, they probably sent, sent down Sorin Sokol, the skipper, who is huge and hard, and they probably just sent him and just went, alright mate, do you, do you fancy nicking their boots? They apologise for it later on. And good on them. But also they then say, oh, good on we them. Will offer boots to them if they ask for them. <laughs> They're going to go, actually, no, we will play in socks. We're much more comfortable yes. this way. There is like a very, slight tinge of like a blackmail tone of voice there as well there's very like like if they got to the game they would be like oh you didn't ask for your boots sorry yeah sorry lads you gotta play without them that would have been hilarious but obviously it's not russia's fault that they had to play without boots it's romania's fault as we've discovered the the boot thieves so speaking of boot thieves right should we look at the Romanian team that played... Actually, no, 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 no. So they played... Right. So they played those games in the Rugby Europe Championship. They then played two warm-up games, right? One of which they beat Neef 41-10. <laughs> Can we please find the squad for Neef? Wait, I'll get that up. You carry on. Okay, okay, okay. So they beat Neef 41-10, which, you know, is a hell of a result considering Georgia were going around the Pro Day Del losing to everyone. However, they also, and this is an even better warm-up fixture, Romania won 53-0 against Romania amateurs. <laughs> no shit! <laughs> like, Namibia played against South Africa uh, amateurs. Yeah, South Africa amateurs. Which, you know what, fair enough, but... <laughs> playing against your own amateurs. I've found the teams for Romania against Neath. Oh, but hello. First okay. things first, Florin Vlaiku started at fullback. Yes! So, like, he, he as a, an all-time legend, has started a game against Neath. Marius Tinku came off the bench. Okay. Danit Dumbrava played. Wow. Some of the highlights of the Neath team. The back line, they've got Gareth James and Ar- Arbo Thomas. Okay. As halfbacks. David Lockyer's playing in the centre. Kevin, oh, Kevin nice. James on the wing. Uh, Paul, of course, Paul James's brother. In the pack, they have basically no one I've heard of. I seem to remember the name Gareth Gravel. Lee Beach was captain. Oh, Lee Beach. I remember Lee Beach. Seventh player. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Gareth Williams on the bench. Uh, hooker. I don't know if it's the same one. Jonathan Thomas on the bench. I don't know if that's the same oh, one. Oh, wow. Gerwin Price, darts champion. Yes. Came off the bench. Can't believe he's both good at darts and has played against Romania. 
mad that, isn't it? Stephen Thomas. I mean, it's more than you can say for Mano Votaway. Yeah, and Dan Vlad and Danit Zambrava all scored for Romania. Mm. What bizarre fixture to have happened? <laughs> yeah. However, it gave Romania bountiful lead in. You know, they won both their warm up games by big margins. <clears throat> They'd beaten Spain by a big margin in their previous game before that. It was kind of, they had the Georgia game hanging over them a bit, but otherwise they had confidence to head into it. They'd had a kind of a good lead in other than that one huge result with Georgia. Yeah. If they came up against so, a team that was about the same quality as Neath, they would bat themselves in the Yeah, World I Cup. think so. I think so. So they arrived at Stad Velodrome in Marseille. Yes. I need to repeat that. The Velodrome in Marseille. To meet those Italians, Tony Spreadbury, and this lot. So I've mentioned a minute ago, Soren Sokol, the Romanian captain, you get like 30 minutes into the game and it becomes very clear who his favourite player growing up was because I'm pretty certain that you and Soren Sokol have something a little bit in common and that is a love for Stefan Constantine because it was so clear that that was his entire philosophy on the game was like, no, I will enforce I'm an enforcer. Yes. That is my job in the team. If I need to punch somebody for us to win this ball, then I will. <laughs> There's something he does in the last 10 minutes that is so stupid <laughs> that I can't help but admire it. Yes, we will get on to that. There's a, there's a handful of very dumb Tony things. Tony Spreadbury three times tells him to lead by example. Yes. There is a great relationship between him as captain and Spread as his referee because they talk about <laughs> so, so they talk about Tony Spreadbury uh, in the punditry and said that like he very he doesn't ask the players to call him sir he asks them to call him Spreaders because he likes having <laughs> like an uh, an informal kind of relationship with captains and players and stuff he doesn't want to come across as one of those kind of power complex assholes Tony Spreadbury I mm. really like that I mm. think uh, that's great I think you're more likely to build a rapport with a referee like that. I think it's something that Luke Pierce is very good at now. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that's really, really good. And there's there's no kind of power complex to him. But there's something great about Tony Bradbury going up to him and going, now, you're being very stupid at the moment. And him going like, sorry, sir, I punch. <laughs> the amount of players that spread is called stupid. I love yeah, it. It's great. There's one point where he sticks his hand up in the air and just says, four, silly. <laughs> and that's his like description of what the penalty was. We'll get on to my favourite spreaders quote of the game okay. later. Yes. But, but yes, Romania. It's a delight. Yes, so as you say, Sokol is captain in the second row, alongside Christian Petra, who again goes on to play for Romania for a very long yeah, time. About two hundred more caps, yeah. You have at Hooker, Marius Tink who returns. Indeed, cult hero. We talked about him a great deal in the twenty eleven series. He is one of the the heroes, the icons of kind of contemporary Romanian rugby yeah. of the last thirty years of Romanian Fantastic rugby. Fantastic statistic about Marius Tinku. He is, as far as I know, the only player who is of like World Cup international standard mm. who has started test matches at both tight head prop and open side flanker. Huh. That's very interesting. There must be more. There, there must, must be, be more, more but, but that's an insane blend of positions. And like, yeah. so it averages out that Hooker is his position, but he has started test matches in both those positions. Wow. Amazing player. Played for Perpignan for a very long time. Yeah. was amazing for them. Fantastic. Back when Perpignan were like a, a proper contender in the top 14. Yes. Yeah, was also played for Poe for a while. And we talked about a great deal in 2011 because yeah. he was amazing. Goes on to have that absolutely incredible I game believe we Scotland. picked him in the team of the tournament for 2011. I think we might have. I think we might have. He was. He would have been very deserving if he was. As yeah, because well. he got a lot of man of the match votes. 
Yeah, yeah great player. I think he was right up there. Just fantastic player. Just like, just an absolute joy to see him again here. Yes. And he's 29, so it's the youngest I've ever seen him. <laughs> and with the most hair we've ever seen him. Yes. Also in the pack. As in four of them. Yes. Also in the pack, you've got Adivadu Tanita at number eight. Yes. Player again. goes on to play all the way through to 2015. A, a very, he's very solid player. Fantastic player. I really like him. Yeah. Or really interesting player. Because he's one of those players that you see playing and you're like, oh, he's quite short but stocky. And then you check and he's six foot five. Oh, interesting. He did end up playing second row by the end of his career. So, yeah, I always thought of him as a kind of like, yeah, I didn't know, like smaller, more impactful type seven. Chris Cloyter is an example of the same kind of guy, but wasn't quite that. Yeah. Yeah. He also holds a world record. Do you want to know this? A world record? Go on. He holds a world record, an international rugby record. He has lost more Rugby World Cup matches than any other player. Oh, bless him. Overtook Hugo Horn in 2015. Oh, bless him. That's a shame. He went on to play until 2019. He retired in 2019, so he could have gone right. there and lost some more. Sent his <laughs> record, but never mind. Oh, bless him. Good player, though. Good player. Good player. In the back line, despite what those stats say, in the back line, so they bring in Romeo Gonteniak in the centres to partner Charba Gall. Chabagal, I believe we looked at in 2011. I, th- I think he's a good player. I- I'm a fan mm. of him. I think he's, again, cool. similar to Canale, very solid. Yeah. You mentioned Gontiak. His son is actually a current Romania player. Oh, really? Yeah, his son is has a few caps in and around there. Oh, uh, briefly played with Claremont, but right. I think he's been released by them. That's cool. But yeah, he's a centre as well. Has floated around the Romanian team lately. Okay. That's that's interesting. The other uh, interesting, I think, thing in the back line is, so at fullback, they've got Julian Dimitras, who yes. we've spoken about... You've got- no, 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 I was just going to mention Catalan Furku very quickly. Yeah. He's very youngster. We mentioned him in passing. Goes on to be that all-time top try scorer, mm. but was, this show is very raw at this point. Yes. But yes, yeah, so talking about Dimitras. Saracen's days. Talking about yes. Dimitras. So, so what's really interesting is, so we watched him in 2011. Mm. He played a little bit fullback, a little bit in the centres, a little bit fly half. And he is known to, alongside Francois Stein, essentially have the biggest boot of anyone in world rugby. Mm. And that's not a joke, like, Within sort of two minute, two minutes of kickoff, he goes for. There's a point where he catches the ball in his own try line, goes for a kick. Someone takes him late, and where the kick lands is, he sent it that far that he can then go for goal from there, having caused it on his own try line because the kicks, the penalty's given where the ball bounces, and then he goes for goal from just behind halfway, and he he misses the kick right, but the ball is still climbing by the time it crosses the goalposts, taking it from the corner like 52 meters out, I believe. Mm. the level of the boot on this man is insane but of course we knew this when we watched 2011 live like how big yes. a boot he had i'd seen a youtube clip i remember of watching him kick yes i'd seen someone post it because he was playing in the pro day dirt at the time and he you know he, he played all over for, he was one of those players right and this is the thing i was <laughs> watching julian dumadras because he was basically a massive boot in search of a player to go with it <laughs> yeah there is a bit of that yeah like, and so obviously he was the most popular Pro De Deux signing. Oh, yeah. You know, he bounced around like six Because he was big and could boot the ball a long way. A million miles. Yeah. A million miles. It's like there's a conversation, right? There's a, like one of those go-to rugby pub conversations you have that's, if you were the player you are now as like not very good average amateur, you know, not there, but you could kick a goal from literally anywhere on the field of 100% accuracy, do you think you'd make the national team? You know, one of those conversations, Dumitrash 
was proof that the answer would be yes. Yeah. Because he made the national team when what he was able to do was from literally anyone in the field miss by one meter. Yes, absolutely. He could force so many 22 dropouts. And the 22 dropouts. He could be very close to getting it, whether he was five meters out between the posts or he was 100 meters out in the corner. It's really interesting, though, because by 2011, I think that was as he was starting to fade. And so we never mm. really got to see the, and I say this in inverted commas, like, prime Dumitrash. And don't get me wrong, he, as you say, like, he is far from a world-class player, right? Even though he has one utterly world-class skill on him. But yes. I did... I did have a kind of watching with a lot of fascination in this game because I think conceptually he is a player that we will bring up for a long time. This is it. This is exactly the fit. He's the player I was talking about as a kind of like potential cult hero. Mm. Also helped by the fact his father played in 87. So he's the first player to ever play at a Rugby World Cup whose father also played at Rugby World Cup. Yes. They bring that up on the comms that, yeah, um, he's the only player in this tournament whose father has also played at Rugby World Cup. Harold Lambe Dumatras. Indeed. Who he, played, played open side. Yes. Yeah, um, in the yeah, it was a back rower, and then he produces a massive fullback with the biggest boot in the world. Makes you think. Do you want to know the great stat about Julian Dimitras, right? Yes, please. He attempts four penalties in this game. Over his 45-cap, 10-year career for Romania, he scored two penalties. What? What? <laughs> Firstly, I mean, I think one question is going to answer the other here. <laughs> why, why did they not just... Every time they had a penalty within 60 metres, give it to him. And then I realised they probably did. Yeah, that's the thing. And what I was saying about him missing narrowly from anywhere on the field was not a fluke. You know... If you're to say, if you're to take his aim is that he wants to miss the penalty (laughs) narrowly, right? He missed two kicks in his entire career. Yeah, you say that Bortolussi is the most aesthetically pleasing striker of a ball. Every single time the ball leaves Dumitrash's foot, you go, holy fucking shit, that's gone miles! There's a conversion he takes in the second half, which basically, like, flies out beyond the 22-meter line. Like, like goes that laterally. Like, he's taking it from the 22, and it basically goes to the other corner. (laughs) And you're like, Like... you're like, oh, he's he's aiming for, for a different set of posts. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's he's, he's aiming through them. For, he's probably nailed it. Like he's probably kicked it over to park somewhere in Paris. <laughs> I'm very fond of Dumitrash. Mm. Uh, for various reasons. Guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. And as as I say, a good player we're going to talk about for a long time, I imagine, for his one particular skill. Very pleasing to watch in any context. <laughs> like, you can question whether he's good at it, but he definitely had that one skill. Yeah, exactly. Whether it was any 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 use to his team, don't know, but. Wow. I'm also a big fan of Bogdan Balan, the tight head. <laughs> yeah. More front row is called Bogdan, please. He's called Bogdan Balan. Yeah. And I have nothing else to contribute on him. You and said this like about Bogdan Suman and we remember how that finished. His name was Bogdan Suman and he was the best. Yeah. And I think there were many points in this first half where Romania were desperately, desperately dreaming of the day that one day have a hooker called Bogdan Suman. So at least I'll have something to laugh about. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting you say that because... My kind of main overwhelming uh, note that goes across my page mm. that is uh, the notes on the first half is Romania are utter dog shit. They're terrible. They the are first fucking half, awful. The first half is Italy being bad and Romania being worse. Yes. Like the halftime score is 8-0 to Italy. And that is such and an insult that is to Italy. about a reflection. Because, right? because Italy are awful and Romania are just worse. Yeah. 
every time Romania get the ball, particularly in the first half, everything that they do is they just pick and go. Yeah. Which means that after one attack, Italy go, oh, we essentially just don't need to mark anywhere else on the pitch. They only pick and go. They're so predictable. They're not organised. They're unbelievably slow. Their discipline is terrible. They give away the world's stupidest penalties. Like, you know, for anybody listening who, um, you know, is slightly kind of newer to the, the nuances and the dark arts of the game, there is such a thing as a good penalty to give away. That you know, if you think mm. the opposition is about to build a dangerous attack, if their ball is quick, it's a good thing to go in there, give away the penalty, come up offside, and stop the try. Mario Cosi does it brilliantly all the time. Yes, because often the referee either won't spot it or they won't yellow card you for it. The 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 proportionate kind of value of the opposition getting a penalty is better than the line break they would potentially have made. Mm. There was none of that with Romania. They're just giving away the the daftest penalties in the stupidest positions and just giving. Italy, loads of free, easy ball to play with, and they are doing a hard job of it. They're not using their backs at all. They're not kicking well at all, or even no. really kicking at all. Their set pieces average at best. How are Italy not scoring points against them? But then you see what happens when they go right, wide, right? And I'm a big fan of Catalan Firku. I think he's a great player. He is unbelievable tier dog shit in this first <laughs> half. Like, the first half feels like one of those ancient, like, battles throughout time you know like like Richard yeah. McCaw against George Smith you have Dan Carter against Johnny Wilkinson you have you know those classic encounters where you have Gitto against Nonu you know you have like real real legends of the game facing each other JPR versus David Duckham you know the the endless endless battle Mike Gibson against Ray Gravel you know all of this you have that kind of those mighty battles of players with similar skill sets and similar ideas that play the game in a very different way coming at each other and attacking each other and really, really being all out there. And this first half gives us another one of those. As we see Catalan Furku and Romero Pez see who can be the shittest player on a pitch in which everyone is playing badly. Yes. All 30 players are playing badly and those who somehow manage to stand out. We're both big fans of Catalan Furku. Yes. Uh, we both think he's an excellent player, a brilliant finisher, a really well-rounded fullback by the end of his career. I think he gets caught in a weird point in which he is, at this point, he's just turned 21, literally a few days before this game. And maybe he'd been out drinking, I don't know. <laughs> but he's got a combination of inexperienced youngster and yet guy who has come in, won 12 caps, and scored a lot of tries in those caps because they've been against teams That's that it. are not as good yeah. as him. You he, know, he's very So he's got a weird mix of overconfidence and unexperience. Yeah, he is living proof of that Kermit the Frog was correct when he said it ain't easy being green. Because to say he was green in this game is an understatement. He is so far undercooked. Yeah, there's a moment in which Italy kick it into the 22. And Furku recovers the kick on about his own, about 10 metres out from his own line. Yeah. And he runs it 10 metres backwards into his own in-goal area gets ankle tapped, falls over, somehow doesn't manage to put the ball down or the referee lets him get away with it. He picks it back up, keeps going and goes for a kick whilst under enormous pressure and sends it straight, straight into... Whilst off balance, he's still falling over as he goes for it. And it goes directly into Bernabo's hands, like lands exactly perfectly in them. It's one of, and it just got very lucky that Italy was so unexpecting it that they drop it because otherwise it's the easiest try anyone will ever score. It's terrible and so frustrating. Like, Mm. I respect the man's confidence, but the rest of his team don't. 
No. The other thing I didn't mention as well is Romania had beaten Italy A in a warm-up game as well. Had they? Uh, in the lead-up to this. And it wasn't that dissimilar a Romania team. Right. So you had Thurkio on the wing, you had Dumitras at fullback, you had Demotier at 10, Tinku, Balan, you know. Were there any overlapping players in the Italy team? Uh, so in the Italy team, you had, I mean, you had some players that go on to be very good. You had Lorenzo Cittadini playing. Oh, wow, okay. Leonardo Gherardini is probably the best, no most experienced player on that team. Alberto Scarbi at fullback, which is a weird one. Oh, wow. But Italy, I think, have one player in Ended common. Ended his career as a flanker. Yes. Italy have one player in common, I think, with the team that ends up playing okay. in this game. You do have, however, on the bench, one Mr. Luciano Orquera. Oh, yes. But yeah, that Italy A team, Romania win 19-8, and it's a very similar Romania team, but a very changed Italian mm, team. Okay, okay. That's interesting. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's a point where just like, I mean, this is the only try in the first half. Mm. And it comes from this utter mess. The most shameful thing about Italy in the first half is that is the only try, the way they can score a try. Yeah. Romania are just inside their own 22. Lucian Serbi is trying to get the ball, the scrum half is trying to get the ball to the back of a ruck to presumably box kick or pass back to the pocket for Dimofte to clear the ball. And the ball comes loose. Somebody in the ruck gets away with something, presumably a hand or maybe actually a boot. No, I watched it back repeatedly. You're giving Italy too much credit here. Really? Does does Serbu just it's drop a it? Romanian, a Romanian boot kicks it out oh of Serbu's hands. Oh my God. So one of his own team's boots kicks the ball out of the nine's hands. Right. That's awful. Yep. As the nine, that must be the most frustrating thing in the world because it, it makes him still, look like a dick. Yeah, it spills behind him. He's lost it. Hence, he just complained to the referee about it, but they're like, well, there's nothing. Yeah, there's they nothing can't penalise that. Yeah. Yeah. Ramiro Pez flies through and somehow managed to get a boot on it. Big Pez with the assist. <laughs> big, big Pez time. Pez dispensing tries left, right and centre. <laughs> Pulling the strings, baby. <laughs> he, he comes so close to botching it three <laughs> times, but his pickup is really good. It's when great. The ball eventually. It's great. Thankfully, he, he has a pace man in Santiago de la Pay next to him to finish it. But Who finishes it well for what he's asked of. Yes, for a slow second row. Like Yeah, for I mean, he finishes it, he's given it two yards out, and he's like, oh, brilliant, I get to score. Yeah, yeah. 
And yeah, you're right, he takes it very well. But what surprised me most about that trial was the fact that on the reverse angle, you can see it was Pez who did the picking the ball up and the whole, mm. oh, look at me, I'm really having a run thing. And like, that happens like, what, two, three minutes into the game? And you go like, oh, okay, Italy going to run away with this. Because I didn't look at the score before watching this yeah. game. And I thought, there's going to be a load of trials like that. Don't worry about it. But Italy just do not know how to play rugby. I mean, the, can I read you the BBC report on that try? Go on. Right. It's also worth noting that Delape goes off injured from his dive. He does. He does. He does a Richard he, Simba. Yes. He injures himself diving. Automatic Dick of the Day nomination Absolutely there. it is. <laughs> Glad we were thinking along the same train of thought. Okay, okay, okay. I'm going to read you the BBC's report yes, on this game, right? Yes, please do. So, Italy coach Pierre Bezier made six changes following the thumping by the All Blacks, and his side started brightly. Record fly half Ramiro Pez beautifully created Della Harpe's score after just six minutes, although the lock played no farther, further part as he fell awkwardly while touching down. Beautifully created. That sounds like he's made a kind of it, scything breakthrough and done like a... <laughs> Rather than a the opposition line's weighted grubber kick. 15 metres out from his try line. He's kicked it in field, almost missed the ball twice, and so I picked it up and just about not passed it forwards. <laughs> but this is Ramiro Pez run about, like not known for That's having true. That's you true. know much of an attacking game. So are we being harsh on Pez? No. No. Okay, we'll carry on. Always preferred FIFA, lol. Both Lucy misses the first conversion, obviously. Tyrone Howe's not happy about Pez not kicking. Yep. There's oh my god. Catalan Furku, right, we've mm. just spoken about him. And there's a bit I forgot to mention a minute ago. Is there's a point just after this try where Romania send the kickoff down, Italy then kick it back. Kathleen Furka catches the ball on his own 10 metres line and he's got one guy in front of him, which I think is Kane Robertson. And he looks up and goes, okay, well, there's a few things I could do here. I could have a crack. I could try and send the ball down into the opposition half. I could pass to somebody else. And instead what he does is he sends the ball about 50 miles into the oh, air. Oh, God, yeah. Directly on the spot where he kicked it. Like, the ball does not move laterally or forwards at all. It's unbelievably atrocious. He has one man in front of him. He Like, even if he chipped and the ball over And he's got support him, as well. Yeah. Even if he chipped the ball over him, it would have been stupid because he's he was a one isolated man with a defensive line like 10 metres behind him. Like, he could have just taken it in. It was bizarre. It's the moment that Pez knows he's got competition. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Honestly, th- that moment. Like, this is off like... turnover. There's two Italians. Mm. You know, they've pumped it long. He's just about got back in time, but there's only one really Italian chasing, putting any pressure on. He's got support from Dumitrash, who has a boot the size of Belgium. Like he's heard somebody say the word kick, and has just gone. I don't know. I guess this is how you do it. It's, it's terrible. Yep. It is. It is. Both Lucy gets a penalty to make it eight nil. And you think, yeah, fair Yay. play. Keep the scoreboard ticking over. Please, yeah. keep keep that thing ticking over. Be good. Do something well, Italy, please. Do that is good. on 12 minutes, and that is the last score of the first half. I'm shaking my head. Oh, God. Yeah, it's just... From, this, from, from here on out, it just gets worse and worse. Like, I mean, there's a point where Carlo Festuccia nearly scores a try. Like, he has one ruled yeah, out by that's... the TMO. He's really confident in it. He starts jogging back when the TMO, the referee's like, I don't know if it's a try. And he goes over, he's like, just try, try, try. Yeah. And then when he goes to the TMO, he's like, oh, okay. Yeah. And he looks sad about it. Italy do a front wrap. They get he steps over the, the touchline, otherwise finishes it well. Yes. But he does go into touch from, before he has to do the complicated bit. From what I will add is terrible defence by Romania. 
Oh, yeah, 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 like, absolutely. They just do not bother marking like that in the first place. And even after he's made a break down the sideline, they don't just bring somebody across to try and tackle him into touch. Like, it's just pure luck that Festucci just fancied standing on the touchline. It's terrible by both teams. Just atrocious rugby. Italy do well to exploit Romania being shit. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give them that. Yes. Yes. And then, like, off the back of getting the getting the ball back, Pez just randomly attempts a drop goal from halfway for a laugh. And I'm just thinking, like... I mean, yeah, sure, he's trying to keep the scoreboard ticking or whatever, but he was never going to get it. Like, no. He thought, right, okay, the one time Romania are doing something well in this, this first half is they're charging up to charge this down. So I might as well just go for a drop goal. Also, like, you look at their pool, right, for Italy. They've got Scotland in that pool as well, who they've beaten in the Six Nations. They know bonus points are going to be important here. Yeah. yeah. They don't have a thought of it at all. And in some ways, I respect that because Romania were a team they took seriously. But also, there's a bit like, back yourself, have some confidence. Because mm. yeah. Italy were not really. They looked like a ramshackle team who had barely been put together. Trying to, like, what this Italy team looked like is the first game under a new coach when the players know each other, but they don't quite know the system, so everything's a bit off, and they're just pleased to get the win under any circumstances. Yes, yes, it's very much that vibe. Like, Italy's attack was so god-awful. Like, they could not scan. It's nothing. I've got no idea what's in front of them. Like, they couldn't go, oh, the defence is extremely tight, let's play wide. One really interesting thing, though, is how often they ran with Ramiro Pez behind another runner, kind of in a precursor to the boot shape. Yeah. They did it three or four times, which is interesting, because that was not happening in World Cup later. And that's happened a few times here, where you've had players kind of hiding themselves as like a kind of... I suppose at the time it was like a version of a wraparound. Yeah. Yeah. Which now looks like a version of playing in the boot. Yeah. But without a deception, you know, um, dummy run. Yeah. And it's funny how closer to modern attack this is than 2011 is. That's interesting, yeah. I think defence has come on and comes on enormously between these two competitions. Big time. I think the quality of defence, like, it's the biggest leap there will be in rugby, I think. I think the leap between 2015 and 2019 was ginormous. Yeah. I think it's bigger than anything's been in the last I, four years. I do think the leap between 2011 and 2015 was quite significant in terms of attacking rugby. Because that yeah, was when so. kind of like the boot think... was popularised and it was the start of one through three one shapes and stuff. Yeah, they'd come in there. I think, as I say, I think 2011 to 2015 was the biggest leap in attack. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll yeah. sound about that. 1990 to 2003 in professionalism, and that was yeah. a huge change in fitness, professionalism, standards, etc. generally. But I think this here, 2007 to 2011, is really interesting because I don't know how far it moves because things move in all kinds of weird directions. The defence comes on a lot. Like, teams actually race up and put pressure on. Yeah. But... Isolated forward runners were still a thing in 2007. Yeah, but, like, attacks moved in weird directions. Yeah, yeah. V- yeah, very strange one to kind of, like, uh, retrospectively analyse, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, there's one point where Italy make, like, quite a nice break, where they get on the outside, Robertson has a bit of a run down the wing, and then, just as it looks like they're starting to do something well... They pass it to bloody Mirko Bergamasco when they're... Oh and it's like, oh yeah, you know what? We could be in with the chance of scoring a try. Yeah, let's pass to Bergamasco, why don't we? Who gets nailed by Ian at Demofte, the 10 for a Great minute. tackle, though. Brilliant, Great shot. brilliant shot on him, dislodges the ball. It's... I would say try-saver, but let's be honest, Mirko would have ran into touch if he was unopposed. When I was talking about Pez and Ferku having dueling shit games, right? That's only because Mirko Bergamasco barely sees the ball and is very quiet, which is exactly what you want from your 12. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. When you're 12 is Mirko Bergamasco, this is exactly what you want. <laughs> yeah, I was quite grateful because this, this had Bergamasco trying to do too much and being terrible written all over it. I also just realized Maro Bergamasco was playing as well now. Oh, yeah. Like, not even when we were going over the teams now. <laughs> Didn't notice him. No, not at all. Not at all. Literally, when I have my notes written down, I always write down Bergamasco rather than like, oh yeah, I have to specify it's Mirko. I basically didn't notice Mauro. No. There's a point where I've written down, I feel for Doomy Trash. I think the reason why I have it written down is because he's sending the ball miles and nobody's bothering to chase it. <laughs> he does. There's a brilliant kicking exchange in here, actually, okay. in this game, in the first half, where Doomy Trash is basically on his own and Italy are completely on top in the kicking battle. And against anyone else, he would be putting it out inside the Italian half if he would have made like a 20, 30 meter net gain. But instead, Dumatrash just does the now modernized thing, now popular tactic of just sending it as long as he can down the middle. And he gets it to bounce up to the opposition goal line. They put it out. Romania have suddenly gained like 60 meters. Yeah. There was a point like two minutes before the end of the half. Romania started doing like relatively attacking kicks. And it's like, oh, okay, mm. there is some hope. Like, Serbia puts in a really he's, good one. They get a line out in the 20 He does. Dumatrash is a player who, if he'd been properly coached and utilised, he could have been really good. Yeah. And you can see that in this game. 100%. And I think there are moments, there are sparks of it. But I just think he was never allowed to become the player he could have been. When you order friends, will staying off never given the opportunity. Yes. Yeah. And I think part of that is just playing in the pro day dirt in the noughties. <laughs> yes. It can't have been easy for the lads. No. Imagine how grim that is. There's a point with i've got it on 38 minutes into the game where just everybody drops the ball like oh. Mirko Bergamasco. I, hold on i've got that i've got your down the one minute it is hold on just a minute it's minute one fruit 80 <laughs> yes but Mirko Bergamasco does like a spectacularly huge knock on and then tanita the trial line at his mercy just goes she's gonna knock it on and does another spectacular <laughs> one. It's just it's just so painful to watch. It's just a comedy, a pure, pure comedy of errors. Like there's another point as well where Tanita, again, great player though he is, randomly, with in the last play of the first half, just chips the ball to Bortolusi when the <sighs> You say that like he only does it once. Do you do it more than Ramiro Pez attempts a chip five times, and every time it goes straight in the hands of a Romanian who doesn't have to move much. Five chips. Yeah. Really pissed. I was screaming by the end of it. Yeah. But it's just like, Tanita was on the edge of the 22. No, it was inside the opposition 22. And it was like Romania's first real attacking opportunity because mm. they'd actually like done a kick and done something other than a pick and go. We've not really hammered that at home quite how shit the Romanian attack is. Like, the picking and no, going yeah. thing, like, was awful because every like it slowed it down every single time. They weren't even effective. Like, clearly they just thought, oh yeah, we'll just do this and this will be it. This is our tactic, and it just did not work. But yeah, Tanita gets the ball and just randomly chips the ball. And obviously, Bortolucci just puts out for half-time inside zone 22, which is like, great, what a waste of an attacking opportunity. Brilliant. Well Romania nice. do get close to scoring. Bogdan Balan has a nice little trom- trondle at the end, towards the end of the half. Mm. They get up the line, but you don't... There's no actual threat there. Yeah. There's no actual theory that they might score. Like, it's just... Rubbish. They get close to the line. It doesn't mean they're likely to score. It's... At one point in the cameras, they show that Graham Henry's there as well, which is yes, Graham Henry and Wayne Smith looking older than they do now, yeah. having to watch that first half. It's bizarre because you think, oh, they've already played Italy. Are they here to analyse Romania? Because it must have been a really easy day of training the following morning. Just going well, back and, and going, thing, don't right? worry about that. They're fucking terrible. <laughs> 
New Zealand were playing Portugal in Lyon, which is, you know, it's a decent couple of hours journey away, three days later. Mm. No idea what's going on there. Yeah, I don't know if they just, like, they travelled back or they didn't travel over. I don't know. Don't know what that's all about. But terrible half of rugby. Yep. Absolutely atrocious. Glad and I'm glad it's way. kind of phased out of my brain now. Yeah, we I'm never have to I've never got to think about, about it again. again. Yeah. Never, never until we do it again. Yeah. Uh, Dick the Dead, Man of the Match, we'll have to think about it. Well, Dick of the oh, Dead, we'll have to think about it. Probably not Man of the Match. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It'll be Man of the Half this week. The other thing that happens right before the end of this half, okay. on 39 minutes, Marius Tinku takes a bash to the head and goes off for blood. Yes. And he isn't really bleeding, but it's just like, it's a very standard, he's in a ruck, someone comes in and hits him, and he just takes a slight shot to the head. Yeah. Sort of thing that was common then, and no one questioned it. And his head starts bleeding, he goes off for blood, he comes back on after half time. Yeah. Remain you do improve as the second half starts, is the good news. Yes. Both teams improve, I think. It's amazing watching this first 15 minutes of the second half, right? Yeah. The way that... When it's a tier 1 v tier 2 game, and the thing is very much both teams are shit, but team X is shitter than team Y, it's so much more interesting when the team that is shitter than the other is the tier 1 nation. Suddenly that game becomes exciting and interesting. Yeah. Because this game is just not improving quality, but suddenly Italy are worse than Romania in this battle of the bottoms. Yeah, indeed. Like, Serbu starts kicking really well. Yeah. As soon as the second half starts, like, they, they start putting in. As I say, attacking kicks, looking for space behind that Italian line. And they're actually looking up and going also, like, oh, what are they trying to defend? Just that pick and go. Brilliant. We'll kick then. Helps that Andrea Marzi goes off at halftime as well. Italy, I think, struggles their backfield cover a bit more without him. Like, he was very quiet and you didn't notice him much. But it's really notable how much more space it feels like there is for Romania. Yeah. Clearly he was and talking it might be a most about that back line. But yeah, it's probably a coincidence. But it feels notable that that's, <laughs> that's a big shift. Yes, Romania find themselves inside the Italian 22 with a line-out because they've actually varied the game a little bit and put some good kicks in, which you don't, I, I can only imagine a coach has told them to do that at half-time and said, mm. no, we actually just need to lean into our kicking game and really try and make use of that because we're not going to attack them. We've got nothing there. And that still is true of the second half. Like, they've got really nothing in attack. Yeah, I mean, pretty much the first thing that happens in the half, first minute of the second half, is... Cerebri puts in a lovely kick five metres out. Yeah. And then Dumitrash, being enormous and having his size 64 boots, just absolutely smashes Bortolucci into touch. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Romania get a line out and they, they go, right, okay, we know what we're good at. We, we've, yeah. we've got a big, strong pack. Let's make use of it. And they do. They, they form them all. Alex Manta, the open side flanker for Romania, mm. kind of twists out of there and seemingly grounds the ball over the line. Really interested by their setup as well, where they send Tinku as the hooker straight in the side to kind of block the Italians that are trying to work, kind of oh, swim around. So he comes right in and twists his body round rather than coming in at the back. That's interesting. Which is a really interesting way of using that kind of like extra body that joins late. Because almost every team puts him in at the back, you know, puts your hooker in at the back, puts him or her in, in at the tail. Yeah. And then hence why hooker scores so many drives off malls. Uh. But instead, Romania used them to just kind of fire in the side. And also, Spread isn't watching from entering the mall from the side, is he? And he just about comes in enough. You know what's fascinating about that? Mm. I remember that Romania-Scotland 2011, Mahisa Lazar scored a try, where Tinker did exactly mm. the same thing. Yes. Uh, and, and just pinned then, load players on the floor. You then look at the 2015 World Cup, 
where you have McAvey, the aforementioned McAvey, scores two tries in that tournament off Malls. Yeah. So it's clearly a setup. It's clearly something that this national team is using. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. It's it's a good variation. Everyone's looking out for the whole crew as the finisher. You know, yeah. As you say, like Spreaders does not care about that kind of stuff. No. And yet Manta's awarded the try. Yeah, I, you say he seems to score it. I think he's definitely Yes, I agree. I agree. Yeah, there was a bit of debate over it. But yeah, I think absolutely correct to give that. Tight call, but you've got to credit Romania. Like, well done yeah. to them. They've come out in the second half and they've gone, right, okay, whatever we're doing there was a fucking tragedy. Like, let's do yeah. something else and it works. Dumitras steps up to take the conversion and absolutely nails it through the post in Murrayfield. Yes. <laughs> it's, 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 it's remarkable. It's, it's nowhere near the posts, but he's got so much on it. I think it kills a granny in Rose. That's Z. it. It's, it is incredible. Like the fact that one second after it leaves his boot, it's left the stadium. Like, yeah, it's remarkable. It's like on like rugby away or one of the rugby video games where you set the power to max, but you don't aim it when the thing yes. in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You forget to press the X button again. So yeah, th- then Romania just really, I think, settle into this kicking game. And yeah. I think Dimofte, to his credit, really did grab the, the game by the scruff of the neck. And when, I agree completely. Um, yeah, I, I think, think he has a really strong second he, half. His game management and just sort of organisation of his backline was great. I think as well, like a word for Charbagal, mm. the amount of huge tackles he made, big turnovers he got, and just whenever Rickley looked like they were about to do something incompetent, he would shut it down. And because yeah. because Bukamasco is so predictable in what he's going to do, and Romero Pez is so predictable in what he's going to do. Like before the ball could even get to Canale, he would he would have it shut down. And just mm. I think he was really, really good in the second half. I think he was one of the key players. But yeah, Dimofte has played, I think, across the back line. I think he I think he was usually a centre, if memory serves correctly. He was a ten. He was, was he a ten, 10 usually? He could play 12, yeah. Okay, okay. But just he knew what he knew how to get the best out of both the centres. Yeah. And he was really, really well organised. If you're a forward playing in this game in the second half, you really look up to the positions he was putting them in. Mm. Yeah. And he was quite a young player at this point. You know, was he was kind of twenty-two. Okay, but he'd been very much he'd very much taken the ten shirt in the le- year leading into this. Okay. he'd very much taken over and made it his own. And I think that kind of confidence comes through. I thought he was his game management was excellent, and he very much had that thing of it's something I think world class tens. It's a, a sign of a world class ten for me is that ability to change once you realise what the game needs. Yes. Like his and ten. I'm not saying he's a world class ten. I'm not no. saying Anote Dimovte is a world class ten. But he at half time changes the way he's playing. He's clearly very coachable from that. Like a yeah. coach has clearly said to him, Right, we need to play like this, and he has gone hundred percent all in on that tactic. And yeah, you've got to respect it. And like Romania find themselves again on the edge of the Italian twenty two. Oh not yet they don't. Why? For very soon after that try, Italy find themselves somewhere about 15 metres out from the halfway line in their own half. Italy give away a stupid penalty and you're thinking, okay, this is good, this is the main momentum, they get downfield. And, of course, up steps Dumatrash to go, post, sir. Drop out, please, sir. And you hear Tony Spreadbury go, did you say post? (laughs) (laughs) I've got to say... Spreaders was the most consistent form of entertainment throughout this game. <laughs> he was. I love him. I just, yeah. Like, we're talking about 65 metres he's taking it from. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And obviously he misses it. Like, that goes yeah, obviously. Saying. But but the thing is, it has the distance, just the not the direction. Is, that is how they get into the Italian 22. Yeah. It's because they made it up to the 22 dropout zone and just run it back. 
You then have immediately, Serbu goes for another kick, and it's awful. He gets half charged down. Or no, he gets kind of clipped as he's kicking it, still follows through on it. But somehow, right, Italy is such a shower of shit that they just keep giving Romania the ball back whenever they put these shit kicks through. Because, like, the quality of the kicking game dips so drastically here. <laughs> so bad. But, like, they're really strong, and he gets the point where eventually, like, after nine doing two terrible kicks off the base... You have, they start to spread it wide. Look, and generally, up until now, Romania's tactic on attack has been, don't let it get wide. <laughs> but Gontiak, who I think has a really solid game, yeah, you yeah. mentioned Gal as well, like, but solid game, he goes, right, okay, we're not getting anywhere. Outside me is only Furku. I know the kind of form he's on. I'm just going to kick it instead. Yeah. And he goes for a chip that I don't know if you could describe as ambitious. It's ambitious if you wanted to come off. I wouldn't describe it as on. In terms of what he asks of. <laughs> yes, himself. Yeah. But it goes pretty well. Like, Gal makes a fantastic pickup. Mm. And I think feeds it back inside. And Romania have something I resembling s- momentum. No, he Gal kind of like toes it on and Furku manages to pick it up. That's it. It's kind of Furku's moment of stepping up, you know, because he's been on really dodgy form. And he has this moment where he pulls his ball off his toes and he kind of steps round Bortolussi and gets Romania very much on the front foot and their defence really backpedalling Yeah, and I think there is nobody else that Romania would want in this situation but Marius Tinku This is the insane thing So, yeah, Tinku picks the ball up at nine, right He looks up and he sees sure he's got some teammates, but also if you look at the defence filling in the kind of like wider positions you've got one flanker then just outside him you've got Mirko Bergamasco and Ramiro Pez and he goes yeah right <laughs> so he just crabs onto the outside and runs straight at the gap and both of them go your man how terrible is the tackling I know well, two rubbish to be fair, first tackles like, Mirko Bergamasco at least makes an attempt yes like he makes a terrible attempt late on because he thinks Pez is going to step in and help him As, like but Tinku's power Pez is just incredible. drifting off yeah, like, it's a fantastic finish from like from the twenty two oh, as well. It's properly made, like it's brilliant. Like we've not done it justice here. I was losing my shit. Yes, as it came over when I realised it was Tinku. Yeah, at first I was just really excited because I thought it was like a I thought it was a scrum off. Yeah, you know I thought because it looks like it the way he crabs slightly sideways looking for the pass then throws the dummy and hands off the centre. Very much uses Spreadby getting in the way as well. Spreadby yes. runs between him and Bergamasco, and he uses that to get on the outside. That's experience, when right? In the way. That is proper. That is the sort of stuff he learnt playing for the Perpignan team when they came up from the Pro D. Uses the referee to get in the way, gets on the outside of Bergamasco. Pez goes, Yeah, I'm not doing that. I'm not tackling that. And darts through to score and put Romania in the lead. How mad is that? They're 12 8 up. And yes, and that means that Dumitrash has the conversion. Oh no, it's not Dumitrescu, it's, it's Dimofte gets it, isn't it? Dimofte, they hand the kicking over to Dimofte, and obviously he slots it straight yeah. between it. Both teams' fullbacks were missing so horribly that they changed the kicker to the 10. Who then nails them. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think they all got remaining. 100% yep. record, didn't they? That's incredible. Yep. That's so good. That if you look at this, like none of these kicks are by like, the starting kickers. It's an amazing try by Tinku. Yes. It is. Like, this is a highlight real moment for one of Romanian rugby's all-time Absolutely. Rates. Absolutely. As I say, don't think much of the defence, but his power Italy. is amazing. Yeah. yeah. Talk about seizing the moment, eh? And it's the moment in which I kind of went, hold on, hold on. I've got a very clear man of the match contender here. Okay. Because Tinku, and we haven't really mentioned because we talked about the kicking game, 
But in the last five minutes of the first half and the first 15 minutes of the second half, Marius Tinku is exceptional. Tinku's a bully, man. Like, in a good way. Yeah. Like, when, if an opposition forward is weak, he will expose it without fail. Yeah, he looks like one of those bullies from Mario 64 as well. He just rams into people and goes... <laughs> like that. He looks like one of those... I bet guys. he does make that noise as well. He does. He does. He definitely does, but in Romanian. I haven't got Google Translate open anymore. I can't check no. what the Romanian... <laughs> is. Yeah, and he is just like, while they're down, while Italy are down and they're lacking in confidence and then they're behind on the scoreboard... He becomes, he grows so much in seeing that he can kick a man on the floor. Yes. And he starts carrying so much harder. You know, he makes a few really big carries. He makes a couple of huge tackles. Yeah. And also just like, there's one in particular really brilliant clear out on a carry by Gal, where mm. he's completely isolated. And a one-man clean in 2007 is a hell of a thing. Yes. But he was just like, he grew to be enormous. And then having taken the blow to his head in the first half, he then takes another. Yeah. And he goes down when Italy get into the... I'm skipping ahead a bit if you don't. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. We can dot around a bit here. But Tinku then, having become like the best player on the pitch, suddenly out of nowhere in sort of the 20 minutes either side of half time. He then, in Italy, are on their try line and he makes what is ultimately a try-saving tackle on his opposite number, on Fescuska, and keeps him out. But it ends up as a head-on-head collision. Yeah. Very much one of those that everyone talks about when you're talking about high tackles, where you're like, well, what's the player supposed to do? Because he's trying to make the try, whatever. Mm. And it's like, that's not the point. No. But, you know, there's more leeway and it's 2007. Tinker takes a blow to the head. He's not bleeding, but spread we demands he goes off to get the blood cleaned up. Yeah. Which is a great bit of refereeing. But Tinker comes back on about three or four minutes later. Yeah. When they've literally just like wiped him down a bit. What's significant here is that in the same passage of play, they lose Tinku to the blood bin. And mm. Manta to the sin bin. Yes. That Manta gives away a really cynical penalty. And it's really good refereeing Stuff. by Spreaders. Yeah, yeah, Because he actually goes, no, you've given away loads of those penalties before half time. Just the fact we've had 20 minutes since then does not make, make it acceptable for you to give mm. those away. And puts them straight in the bin with no hesitation. Straight after they've just, Tinku's just scored that try. I liked just before that as well. The penalty before, the first penalty remaining giveaway in there is a in the air penalty at the line out. And Spreaders just says... In the air, leave him alone. Yes. <laughs> he just has, he just has a way with words, doesn't he? But yeah, as soon as, as soon as Tinku is off, there is just such a sense of flatness within the Romanian pack mm. when they've lost both of those at once. And Manta was extremely fired up, which is probably why he gave away that penalty in the end in the yellow card. Yes. But there is just such a sense of, oh, we've just got to hang on here rather than, oh, we've got the ascendancy. Yeah. Let's go out and bully them a little bit more. And, Mantra as well, one of those players we haven't mentioned much, but he had a really strong second half. You spoke before um, about a good quality of a flanker being amongst it, and yes. he is amongst it. He is, he is. He's just like, he would constantly pop up and do annoying things. Yeah. Like, he'd have been a brilliant player in the 80s. Yes. Which is maybe faint praise, but I think he was just so physical and annoying. Yeah. And he wasn't necessarily technically excellent. No. But he would shove himself in places where no one would want to be. Yeah. And he was really difficult to move because he was a big, big lad with a weird haircut. <laughs> but yeah, both of their both their try scorers are in the bin now. Yeah. And it's really difficult. And Italy get a scrum and they have a few goes at it. 
Right, and Spreads is giving penalties, and they're constantly asking the question, like, when's it going to be a penalty try? And Spreads goes, oh yeah, good point, I hadn't thought of that. All right, probably next one then. And they set the penalty, and then just straight away, like, as soon as the scrub is, he, as soon as he's called engage, Romania go, nah, fuck that, and collapse it. And Spreads just goes straight into <laughs> the sticks. It's, that is not a clear penalty try scrub. That he gives it all. It's like, I was so baffled because I was like, I'd fast forwarded through some of the scrum free settings yeah. and so on. And I was just like, oh, he's running under the sticks. What? Yeah. But things, it was I the correct look call. At it again, it's like, it's basically he calls engaged and he runs under the post. Yeah, but like, Romania just so did not want that scrum that no. like, it was the correct call 100%. Like, it was, I feel like it would have been the correct call if he'd waited an extra few seconds. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. It just felt very premature. Yeah. It felt like, and that's why all the Romanians get up and they're like, what? Yeah. Like that one. <laughs> like I get, like, I get it was a yellow card. I get it if you're going to give it slightly later, but that scrum, the previous one, fine, but that it one. It does feel deserved though, because Romania have just given away so many penalties in their own 22. I can't believe you're defending a penalty try to me. Yeah. Look, I was going to do the whole bit, but I figured now's not the time for it. Not this game. <laughs> do you like rugby? I do like rugby. Cool. Okay. But not especially during this game. I did question it a little bit. And I've forgotten what the feeling of seeing players put the ball down over the try line is like. But yeah, so penalty try is given. Ramiro Pez gets the conversion. Great for Tyrone House, the fantasy team. Yes. Because Pez been... does another two chips. Yes, he does, which is stupid. And Manta on in the bin is so animated. I was just about to bring this up. I love his energy. <laughs> because he is, every time like Romania do something stupid or give away a penalty or whatever, he's fucking fuming on the sideline just going no why would you do that whilst he's literally like sat he in the sim doing it all the time yeah, <laughs> yeah. he's just been sent off because he was doing it to just constantly himself. fuming at other players giving away penalties i love that energy he's so fired up and like he so wants to get back out there yeah the amount of him just like standing up like or not standing up just like sitting up very tall yes. and then sulking down a bit as his face gets angry and fuming. i thought he was about to twat the fourth official like and like his shoulders are about level with his eyebrows yes. oh god it's great i i'm so here for players like that in rugby world cups i hadn't heard of him before this but i'm looking forward to seeing more of him as me as too, this tournament me too. Goes big on. fan of him yeah and he goes on like another romania player for a really long career he played in the 99 world cup 2003 world cup and then this and then 2007 World Cup, played until 2012, but missed out on the 2011 World Cup. Yeah. Didn't travel in the end. But yeah, so we've got potentially more of him in other World Cups. Very exciting. Very exciting. Pez gets a penalty, 18-12 swiftly. There's then a point where our friend Soren Sokol, Stefan Constantine enthusiast, goes in for a no-arms clear-out and Bryce Lawrence Mm. sticks his flag up and talks to Spreaders. And Spreaders is like, what's he done now? Bryce Lawrence says he's coming from a distance, no arms charge, really silly, really unnecessary. And Spreaders goes, okay, right, okay. What's your recommendation? And he goes, it's a penalty and a strong talking to. And then Spreaders calls him over and goes, you. And as we've said, like, Spreaders doesn't like to do the whole squared master thing. Like, he wants to be friends with the players here. And what he does is, he goes, you, come over here. And then he goes, sticks his hand in his pocket and then points with the other hand and goes, don't do that again. Very silly. <laughs> And then takes his hand out of his pocket. And so his way of being stern was by pretending he was going to give a yellow card. It's great. He's just such... He, he's, he adds to the value of this match more than any of the individual players. Yep. It's fantastic. However, the other thing that happens about this time, right, is after a few minutes, back on comes Marius Tinku. Yep. And Marius Tinku is so concussed. 
Like, he is the most concussed man anyone has ever seen. Like, it's it, it's like watching Jonathan Sexton in a Free Stooges skit. Like, he's ridiculously... Con- like, he's like the, one of the burglars in Home Alone. Like, he's that level of concussed. There's such an energy of, oh, we've just conceded and, a try, we need our best player back on, under yeah, any circumstances. Exactly. So they, they shove him back on, because they're like, we're in this game, we need him desperately. And so he comes back on, which is a terrible decision by the coaches because yeah. you can tell even at this point you can tell he's concussed yes. right and he comes on and despite him having been brilliant before he went off the first time he's not just bad right because when you when i talked about pez and i talked about furku and so on they were bad at executing the skills that we know they can do mm. right like pez had a long career at international level furku is one of Romania's greatest ever backs which is faint praise of its own but you know that's harsh but yeah but the point is, right, they are good players and they are executing their skills poorly. Yeah. Tinku comes on, he looks like he doesn't know what rugby is. He implodes. So, he fully implodes. And, like and as, as do Romania around him. Yeah. So it's he, he drops two passes to him, one of which was simple. The other one he very much should have taken still. But then the real standout moment is Romania put through a kick and it goes out just inside the Italian 22. It's a good kind of pressurizing kick. It's a good kick, kick, yeah. And as the line-out's... Set, as the players are walking back for the line out, the ball has been in touch for about 15 seconds at this point. Tinku runs up to one of the Italian players who is nowhere near the ball and tackles him. Yes. Just grabs him and tries to pull him to ground. The ball is in the stands at this point. The ball is in the stands. And player's been over I would about 20 say seconds. That the, player has not touched the, the ball. The player that he tackles is in 15 metres in from the touchline. Yes. And he's clearly got no idea where he is. And he knows he's on a rugby pitch, so he's got to make tackles. Yes. And he just goes for the guy closest to him. My immediate thought was, I watched it back. Well, at first I thought like, oh my God, that's Tinku. That's so uncharacteristic. Like, and I'd done the same thing as you when he scored that try. I thought, oh wait, he's a man of the match contender. Then I saw that and went, oh, maybe he's not. And then I saw the reverse angle and saw it was on Bergamasco and thought, oh, he's obviously being a clown. <laughs> so yeah, he's back in man of the match contention. That was it. At first, I was like, I thought it was I thought, really funny. When I, I thought first Bergamasco saw it. must have said something, but actually, you yeah. are right. Like, it, it's a tackle he goes for, not a push. And like, yeah. let's be honest, we have both seen Marius Tinker play enough times. We know how, how he responds when he's angry at something. Yes. If Bergamasco said something that pissed him off, he would have fucking lamped him. Yeah, he would have pushed him. He he would have done anything rather than go for a chop tackle on him. Exactly. I think he's just got no idea where he is. Yeah. And you can tell, like, he struggles to stand up when he gets up from... He goes down, like, shortly after this, or might yeah. be just before this. And he struggles to get back up when the medics are trying to take him over. Yeah, oh, yeah he then... When when he has to go off again, like, for the final time mm. with 10 minutes to go, Romania just all looks so reluctant to bring him off. Like, none yeah. of the Romanian officials on the sideline aren't telling to bring him off. Tony Spreadbury said, no, this, this is the third bite of the cherry, you have to go off. So, yeah. So Romania get downfield and kick a penalty yes. to put them back in touch, back within seven. And Tinku wobbles his way back into his own half. Like he is swaying, he is struggling, and Spreadbury goes over to him and says, Are you okay? Like he checks, Is he okay? Like he's. Pez is about to take the kickoff and he stops him because he wants to go and check that the other hooker's okay. And he's like, Yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. He's like, Noah, I'm worried about you. Are you all right? Yeah, he says, I have to do this for your safety. Yeah, yeah, he, exactly. He says, it's like, I need to keep you safe. You're, yeah, this is for your own safety. And he demands that he goes off. I really like the way that Spread has handled that. I yeah. think, you know what, he's had a laugh and a joke with the players and stuff. He's made the game fun. But at the same time, he has gone, no, like there's 10 minutes left of the game. I cannot risk this. 
And he, he puts it across also, in such a way that he is being friendly with Tinku. Yeah, he says it to Tinku that, like, I want a medic's word for it that you're okay. Yeah. So he demands he goes off and the remaining doctor comes over and they have a word. And Tinku's very much like, no, I'm okay. I want to go back on. And the doctors are very much like, oh, we'll have to assess you again. And they're like, well, there's, there's 11 minutes to go. We might as well just, you know, bring our experience replacement yeah. on. But Spreadby handles it amazingly yeah. well. For 2007, nowadays you see referees do that and you'd praise them, right? 100%. For him to be doing that in 2007 and spotting that before even we had the NHL awareness, yeah. NFL awareness of concussion, before things before had grown HIAs outside the But we're, yeah, we're eight years before HIA is being introduced here. That's mad. And he's twice demanded the player go off for blood when there isn't blood. Yes. In order to make sure the head gets checked. Yeah. And then he was he's come back on, he's clearly not okay and he sent it off. He sent him off. Like he's gone like, you're you're off. He also has a word to him on the try line, you know, just before he goes off second time. Yeah. Saying, like, are you sure you don't want to go off? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, can't speak more highly about how well Fredri... Yes, 100%. And Tinku goes off and Romania have to deal with it. Yeah. At the same time Tinku goes off, Italy bring on Alessandro Troncon and he makes such a difference. Like, he starts kicking absolutely everything. I think he even takes some of the kickoffs and stuff. And Troncon is by such a distance, the best Italian player when he's on the pitch. He puts them in all the right positions. There's, I think he even sets up an opportunity for him to score a penalty again later on. Like, he is so, so good off the bench. I think he makes what looks like it's about to be a line break at one point, but an Italian player doesn't run quite the right line off him. But he looks like he can open this entire game up on his own. He plays like it's 10 minutes. Because we talked about him being pretty rubbish against the All Blacks. Yeah. And he looked old. But when you put him in a game that just needs managing, yeah, you know, where he just needs someone to be sensible and take it's not him by a particularly fast-paced game, is it? So no, it's a it doesn't require him to be anything. twenty years younger than he is. Exactly. Suddenly, he's a magician. Suddenly, he's exactly what you need. Yeah. In a scrappy game, he is still absolutely has it, and you get why he's still playing at this level, which you were questioning in that New Zealand game. We look so off the pace and so behind the times. Yeah. And actually, if you give him the right sort of game, he's now a far more limited player than he was in his in his prime. But he's still incredibly effective if the 100%. type of game is right. Yeah, Italy take a kickoff, right? Mm. Uh, <laughs> this is great. This Romania send up a lifter. Italy take them in the air, and then Spreaders goes okay penalty. At which point, Stefan Constantine's godson <laughs> just slaps the man in front of him. It's a closed fist. Is it? Is it? He punches him. He punches him. He punches him in the face. <laughs> And Spreaders, and I've written this down, I quote, blows his whistle, puts his hand up the other way, goes, reversed, you, stupid. It's more aggressive than that. It's reversed, you. And he points, full arm out, Phoenix Wright style, and just shouts, stupid, <laughs> stupid. And then, yes, that was, that was the one I was on about earlier when later on somebody goes up and says, sorry, what was that penalty for, sir? And he goes, four, silly. <laughs> amazing it's great Pez gets the, and gets, the, gets the kick as well which because it's like it's such a key moment as well we're maybe <laughs> just scored a penalty they're now back within seven if they get this penalty and they kick down field <laughs> they're suddenly into the you know they've got bloody Duma trash and his boot the size of Saturn yeah. they can put it probably up to the Italian five meter line they said skips has his priorities sorted yeah Skip just wants <laughs> to land someone the captain goes oh, I haven't punched anyone in a really long time <laughs> You know, no one stole our boots this week, so I didn't have the chance to track them down. 
And so, yeah, their captain punches someone in the face. And you know what? You deserve to lose if that's the case. Yeah. If you're 10 minutes to go, you're chasing a huge win, you've just got the wind in your sails, momentum's really swung your way, and you punch your opposite number in the face for literally no reason. There's no tug on him. There's no cheap shot on him. Nothing. He just punches him because he fancies it. You deserve to lose. Yeah, I'm sorry. I agree. And like the last 10 minutes are quite even. And Romania have a couple of chances. Yeah. One really good one where Dumitrash puts Furku into some space. Yes. And they get into the 22. And you think this is starting to look interesting. And, you know, they could come back and win this from here. A converted try would do it. But, because Romania's discipline had been so atrocious in the 10 minutes beforehand, I was like, they don't deserve to win. No, that, do I know. They? I had that they were well. terrible in the first half, this, and their discipline was unbelievably like, bad. Gal comes up with a really good breakdown turnover pen, and the, the kicking mm. tees on, shreds, goes like, tees on, you have to go for goal. Thankfully, they get that one. And again, they're back within seven, but you're like, mm. oh, do I want this though? And as you say, there's that break at the end where they get Dumitrash on the outside. And he is so slow that he just panics and gives the ball to Firku. It's essentially a hospital pass. It's that, like, early. Mm. And they were just know, well, we don't have to mark anyone else. And Firku drops it on what could be argued as a high contact. He kind of dips down and cuts inside a little bit. Yeah, and drops the ball. Because Italy, no, they just essentially have to just swarm him to yeah. stop that line break of the try-scoring opportunity. And they get it covered. Yeah. The game suddenly, as, as I mentioned at the start, sparks into life again. He sort of has the first 10 minutes of the second half where Romania scored both of their tries. And then in the last 10 minutes when it's like, oh, Romania could do this. They could pull this off. Yeah. And obviously I knew if they won it held out in the end, but it, I wanted to see how close Romania would get. Yes. Considering how terrible the first 40 minutes is, is that was fascinating that they technically could have, you know, drawn that at the end. Or won that? Yeah, could have won that won at the that, end. Yeah. That they would have got a losing bonus point for that, which is wild. It does actually end with Pears kicking to the corner on the 80th minute and Furka just running into oh, touch. You've missed the Sergio intensifying. Oh? Sergio Parise, who has a really quiet game, mm. then with about three minutes to go, goes, Ooh, Fidem. And Italy have a bit of an overlap and he does a like ridiculous pass for his own legs that gets it wide. Did you miss that completely? I missed this. Sergio Parise does a pass for his own legs. Call me Julian Dimitras because I'm missing things. <laughs> yeah, Parisa, he just chucks it for his own legs. Sure. Then gets back, and when Romania obviously turn it over and charge, and Furku gets another chance, makes a shoulder-to-the-face tackle on him. <laughs> that's ultimately a big, important tackle because it dislodges the ball and causes Furku to lose it when he's just getting wow. to 22. But he does send a shoulder into his face, and he'd probably be sent off nowadays. Fancy that. But it's just like Sergio, completely silent for 77 minutes. Then for three minutes, whew, I need something on my highlights reel today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my there was Troncon's crossfield kick to Marcy as well, which was really bloody good. Oh, just yeah. As play style yeah, yeah. But yeah, as I say... Oh, Marcy's off by this point. Oh, whoever was on that wing then. Uh, Ezio Gallon, who I've never heard of. Gallon, yeah. Yeah, as I say, the game finishes by Pez kicking to the corner, bouncing a little bit, then Ferku just five meters out from his own line, just goes, nah. And just runs it into touch. And you know what? Fair enough, because he probably would have screwed up and lost in the losing bonus point. That's the... Yeah, I kind of wondered why they wouldn't have a go, especially when he had a go from behind his own try line in the first <laughs> That's half. That's why. But maybe he just learned from it. Yeah. yeah. Right, we've talked for a long time about that game. Let's do Man of the Match and Dick of the Day. What? Oh, God. I f- okay. This podcast is becoming a problem. <laughs> we are unstoppable. Um, unfortunately. So. Where do you want to start? Let's... Start with Man of the Match, actually. Yeah. Let's go it's Man difficult. of the Match. I'm interested to hear who you're going to give Man of the Match to. Yes. <laughs> so, bus. I, I've got someone written down that I don't think is going to be the same as yours, but yeah, carry on. That's interesting. 
for a while, I had Marius Tinku as my man of the match. Then all the stuff happens around his concussion yeah. and clearly not being okay. And I think you can't keep that up. Me too. I echo that. But I think the best passage of play that anyone has on the pitch is Marius Tinku for the sort of 15 minutes yeah. around half time. As you say, I think Troncon makes an impact when he comes on. I thought Tonita and Manta in the back row for Romania were very good. Yep. I thought they played very well. Demofte at 10 for Romania as well, I think stands out, stands up a lot. However, I think you've then got to look at the other side. And I think both of them have reasonably quiet games, but the decisive factor in the end is the scrummage. So Castro and Lacicero mm. got to be in contention as well. Good point. However, my man of the match is Tony Spreadbury. I love it. I think he not only adds a great deal of enjoyment and of value, He's and the he centerpiece. is the most fun and entertaining part of the game. In a game where the atmosphere is really flat as yeah. well. Like, just empty. Everyone's hungover, yeah. Yeah. However, he also handles the concussion case with Tinku so well. Yeah. That I think that's a legitimate call for him being that's the great. standout yeah, best yeah. thing about the game. I, I love it. I think he referees well, fairly. I mean, he's breakdown interpretations all over, but he's consistent. So, you know, it's the spreader's rules. So I think genuinely the person I was most impressed with watching this game and the person I think most positive to say coming out of the game for them is Tony Spreadbury, who is my man of the match. Can I tell you? He was the person <laughs> I'd written down that I didn't think you were going to give it to. <laughs> So with both for the first time ever, I think this is. I think this is the first time either of us have first given yeah, man of the match to a referee, but never we've given commentators man of the match before. You've given Bill McLaren man of the match, yes. Oh yeah, I did. Yeah, okay. Uh, but I completely agree with you. Tony Spreadbury is man of the match. Yeah. I will quickly run through that. So I agree with everything you said about Tinko. I don't think it bears repeating. I think Charba Gal was excellent in the centres. Mm. As I say, big fan of his. And a really weird thing was. I thought Paul Griffin was playing all right through the game. And then Troncon came on and I was like, oh my God, he was fucking terrible. <laughs> and I realized just like, I thought he was having like a 5.5 out of 10 game Griffin. And then when Troncon goes on, it's like, no, no, he was so bad. So like Troncon was obviously this somebody I had rugby. written down. This is what rugby is. Yeah, exactly. So obviously I wrote down Troncon for the 10 minutes cameo that he, he played. But yeah, spread is his man of the match because for entertainment value, and just general, like, everything you could possibly ask of somebody playing his position, yeah. he was the best. <laughs> Absolutely. I can't believe we've both of done those that. Two, of those two, Paul Griffin should not be the one with sideburns of him and Tony Spreadbury. <laughs> it's strange, isn't it? It's very strange. Tony Spreadbury has sideburn energy, and I can't explain it. I can't believe that we've both played the, yeah, I'm going to give referee man of the match card for the first time on the same episode. This podcast is the same thing. We increasingly are just giving all of our nominations. I wrote that down people. at about 50 minutes. Spreaders is my Yeah. Advantage. I decided it when the Tinky thing happened. Right. I decided yeah. that's that's just, he's handled that so well. Yeah. That's done. Fair play. So, oh shit, dick of the day. Yeah. So <laughs> Tony Spreadbury moves into joint third on the player of the tournament oh, yes. ranking. What a guy. Behind Foy Priya <laughs> and Scott Lawson. <laughs> Oh, it's incredible. Hopefully Scott Lawson and Tony Spreadbury can fight it out like the dogs did last time. <laughs> Dick of the day. It's kind Dick of everyone. Of it's kind mm. of Delape for getting injured while scoring. It's kind of Tanita for his chip on half time. But ultimately, I had to give it to Mark Robson because he thought a conversion was worth three points. <laughs> that's very and good. And he said that the score that the score was now 13-8. That's, that's 
Nice. So I was going to give my dick of the day to Daniel Santosman, which is a hell of a name, who is the Romanian coach. Okay. Daniel Santamans, which is Santamans, which is a great, which is what I call elves. I was going to give him dick of the day until I just opened his Wikipedia page very briefly whilst looking at this. And so shortly after this World Cup, right, he left to become coach of a Pro Day Duh team, mm-hmm. Blalnac in the Pro Day Duh. And during that season, not long after this, in 2008, he died very suddenly of a cardiovascular condition. Very suddenly at his mother's funeral. No! Aged just 48. Jesus Christ! How'd you deal with that? That's... That's awful! Maybe the most tragic... Yeah. You talk about dying of a broken heart, you know, that's horrible. It's For his family, like, who all would have been present. That is awful. Jesus Christ. Yeah, let's not give him dick of the day. year after that. So, as a show of respect, I'm not giving him dick yeah. of the day. That's horrible. And can only imagine how hard that must have been yeah, for his family. Yeah, it's, awful. it's It's awful. So, my dick of the day is going to the medic instead. The unnamed medic. Yes. Dr. Jeff Banterfield. That's who. Dr. Jeff Banterfield. Dr. Jeff... I'll translate Banterfield into Romanian yes. because we'll get back to this. Okay. Banterfield is Camp della Glumena. Okay. So, what's his full name? So... Dr. Jeff Camp de Luena. Okay, he's your dick of the day. He is my dick of the day. <laughs> Deservedly so, the prick. Yeah, either way, it's for the handling of the Mary Stinky thing. Yes. Terrible. Which I think was horribly handled. Yep. Oh, and that brings us to the end of another... <laughs> long, long ...episode long. of this bloody stupid podcast. Yeah. Please join us next week when actually we've got a really exciting guest lined up. I'm really excited to have them on and to see what they have to say about rugby. I am just as excited as you are. The game should be, all being well, Fiji's really high-scoring win over Japan. Okay, And I feel like we've got a good matchup of guests for this. I think so as well. We've got a couple of episodes with guests, a couple of episodes without guests coming up that might come in a slightly jumbled order because the Six Nations is weird and we've had, like, journalists and commentators and content creators on this podcast before and... People I'll have weird schedules, what. so we'll figure that out yeah, later on. Especially including ourselves. Yes. Lots of rugby, 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 and we'll rugby you soon. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for getting through that. And most of all, I would like to say to everyone, La Reverde si Noptabuna. Thank you. I was very ambitious when I said an hour and a half earlier. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.